Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. And then you can open your Bible to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be reading from Matthew 26 from verses 26 to 28. Verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. Verse 27. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it and gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Lord, I want to ask that you would come and bless your word tonight, God. Would you come and show us just a little bit more of what you actually did that evening? When you, when you gave us this practice of communion, what you were actually busy doing, God, and will you come and give us a new revelation of who you are, Jesus? Please come and do that tonight. Amen. Amen. So we are actually in our last week of our course called Disciple Shift. We do it once a year, and we are asking God, God, in which way do you want to shift us as a church? As disciples, in which way should we shift? And we were looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, because it gives us a picture of the early church. Now, the early church, they were not called Christians. They were called followers of the way. If you read the book of Acts, you will see that they were always called followers of the way. And that comes from John 14, verse 6, where Jesus proclaimed, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, so with that, those who followed Jesus, they actually said that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And they were known as the followers of the way. And if you are a Christian tonight, then you are also a follower of the way. Of John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way. We are also followers of the way. But when we look at our life today, sometimes in church, and when we look at the, we compare that with the book of Acts, the church in Acts. It looks like their devotion was on a whole different level. I mean, these guys were radical. They were radical in the way that they followed this way of Jesus. And that's something that has been challenging us, and we've been preaching about that. We believe that God wants to shift us in our devotion. So the way that they were devoted to Jesus, we want to become more like them in their devotion. So in the first week, oh, let me just quickly read uh, verse 42 from Acts. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. So some people call this the four pillars of church. And they were devoted to reading scriptures, to the teachings of Jesus. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to coming together with God's people. And they were devoted to taking communion. Now, as far as devotion goes, we know that the more you devote yourself to Scripture, the more you will love Jesus, right? And also, the more you love Jesus, the more you are going to want to devote yourself to Scripture. It works both ways. You don't wait, you know, for your love to grow so much and then start reading your Bible. You read your Bible, and in that you grow in your love for Jesus, but also, the more you love Jesus, the more you want to read your Bible. The same goes for prayer. The more you love God, the more Jesus is revealed to you in Scripture, the more you want to pray. But at the same time, you also devote yourself to prayer because I know the more that I pray, the more I'm going to love Jesus. Your devotion leads to love 
And also your love leads to more devotion. These two work together, and that's what we see in the book of Acts. When it comes to coming together with God's people, we don't only come together when we feel like it. Even on the Sundays when we really are enjoying our afternoon nap and we know we've got a big week ahead. We devote ourselves to coming together with God's people. Why? Because the other people are so in love with Jesus. They point us to Jesus. And because of our devotion to coming together, we grow more in love with Jesus. Our devotion leads to more love. But also because we love God. If you really love God, you will love His people. Because it's the thing that He loves the most. Your love will also grow, go to more devotion. And that makes a lot of sense. If you want to see a church that's devoted, let them do those three things. But can I be honest? Communion. I don't get where that fits into this picture. I mean, read your Bible more, pray more, come together with God's people. That makes a lot of sense. But why is communion that important? I mean, why was the early church that passionate? And it wasn't only in verse 42 where they said they devoted themselves. If you read the book of Acts, you will see that they loved taking communion together. And it's like, I get that it's important because it's a symbol of God's body that was broken for us and his blood uh, that was shed so that, so that we can have the forgiveness of sin. But there are many things that Jesus said, right? There are many other things that we also do in church, and they're all very important. But I mean, are they as important as the other three things? And it feels sometimes when you think about communion, you see their passion, you think like, is it that important? Like, what's the big deal with communion? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been on the outside of an inside joke? Have you ever experienced that before? It's like Michael Scott from The Office. Because he'd love to be, uh, he loves inside jokes. He just wants to be part of one one day. It's like when, when I say pineapples, and then some people start laughing, you know, like Brent, it's an inside joke. And then you don't get it because, wh why don't you laugh? Well, because you don't have the background. You don't have the backstory. You don't have the context. You don't have the history. It's like when you are very excited about the newest series that you're watching, and you tell someone to watch it with you, but they watch it, the first episode they watch is maybe season five, episode 12. So they've got no context. It's like telling someone, yes, Chandler from Friends, he's so funny. And someone watches Friends with you, and they don't find him that funny. Why? Because they don't know the history. They don't know Chandler. They don't know the, the characters and how they work together. They don't have the history or the context. Now, it's exactly the same sometimes when we read the New Testament. There are so many things that Jesus said that had so much meaning, so much background, and sometimes we just lose a bit of the punch of what he did and said because we don't have the backstory. We actually have the backstory right here, but we just haven't read, you know, all of it. And so sometimes it's like we're on the outside of an inside joke. And I think when it comes to communion, it's the same. Like communion is great and we get some of it, but there was something in the early Christians that were largely, they were people that lived in Israel, so they knew the Jewish customs. And so there was something of the backstory which they got. Because this evening, when Jesus brings to his disciples and he breaks the bread and he gives them the wine, it was the evening of Passover. It was the Passover feast. And it was this evening, they had a festival for a week long. It's called the Passover feast. And on this one evening, it was the, the climax of this feast. It was the Passover meal. And at the Passover meal, Jesus does something. And the disciples go, <gasps> They can't believe what Jesus did, just did. 
but we read it and we don't fully get the backstory. So that's what I want to try and do tonight, is I want to show you a little bit of the backstory, and hopefully after this, after this, I really hope that we would take communion in a new way, that it will lead us to a greater form of worship, and that I'm hoping that this Wednesday in your community group, that you would take communion together, and it would be a new experience for you. So the backstory goes back 1,500 years before this evening. So this evening when Jesus instituted communion, it's 2,000 years ago. But 1,500 years before that, the Israelites were in Egypt as slaves. I don't know if you were, went to kids' church, uh, at your church, if you grew up in church, or if you went to Sunday school. Um, I'm going to try and explain it for anyone that really has no church background. We are so glad that you are here, and that's why we want to explain these things. But even those who went to Sunday school might have forgotten the story. But you remember the story about Moses and the ten plagues in Egypt? And so Moses was the leader of the Israelites, and he goes to Pharaoh, who was in charge in Egypt, and he says, God says you should let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And then Moses comes back and he says, Pharaoh, if you don't listen, God is going to bring a plague on you. You need to let his people go because they need to go worship him. And then Pharaoh says, you know what? You guys are slaves. You're really valuable to us. We don't pay you that much, but you do lots of works for, work for us. So no, we're not going to let you go. And then comes the first plague. I mean, I think it was water that turned into blood. They had a water crisis, a lot worse than what we have. And then it goes, I can't even remember all nine of the plagues, but I remember the 10th one. And so each time there's a plague, Moses comes back. Pharaoh says no, comes back, says no, comes back, says no. He doesn't let God's people go. And then comes the 10th plague, and God tells Moses, this is going to be the last one, because there's going to be a night where Egypt will feel my wrath. They are going to be judged. I'm the Lord, and I'm going to judge them. I'm going to kill every firstborn in each household, whether it's a human or an animal, you're going to kill all the firstborn. And so God's judgment, because of the sin that was taking place, God's judgment is going to come down, but then God says the following. He says, but don't worry, I will save you, and this is what you need to do. And so we read in Exodus 12, uh, you can make notes, you can read on the screen with me, um, but it's something you can do a bit of study work uh, later on uh, by yourself. Exodus, 3 verse, uh, Exodus 12, verse 3 says the following, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. This is very important. You should take a lamb. It could have been a sheep or a goat, but it should be a lamb. According to their father's house, it's a lamb for a household. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. In verse 42, it actually says that, that no bone should be broken. It should be perfect as possible, a lamb without any blemish. Now, just reason for this. Is this was a custom in the Old Testament, and it goes on way after Exodus 12, where because of your guilt and because of sin, you, the punishment would actually be death. And you would actually deserve the, the wrath and the punishment of God. But then you would take a lamb that was innocent. A innocent life would be the substitute for a guilty life. And so a life that deserves punishment and judgment would be substituted for an innocent life. And so an innocent lamb would be taken, it would be slaughtered, and you would give your guilt on that lamb, but also you would receive the innocence of 
that lamb. And that's the way that God gave his grace. But it was part of a bigger plan for God. Verse 7 goes on. Then they shall take some of the blood. So this lamb that you slaughtered, you will take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house. So you're going to put it on, you're going to smear this blood on the door of your household in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire. That's, I put that verse in there just to make the point that they had to bry it. Very important. So we are culturally relevant still today as South Africans. They had to roast the lamb on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Verse 11. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Then verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. That's where the word, the Passover feast, comes from this idea that God passes over. Your household does not receive the judgment. You are passed over because of the blood of a lamb. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, let me just quickly make this comment. It's quite interesting. The Israelites were already God's people. They had the practice of circumcision, circumcision. And they, were, they had a heritage of being God's people. Yet God says, if I don't see the blood of a lamb on your doorpost, I'm not passing over. You'll still receive my judgment. The point is, there was no distinction apart from the blood of a lamb. Nothing else. Not your heritage, not your culture, not anything else. Only the blood of a lamb on your doorpost. Verse 14, then God says, this day shall be for you a memorial day. It's like, it's going to be a public holiday. Why do we have public holidays? To remember a significant event in the past, to celebrate a victory in the past. It shall be a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Now, quite interesting, when Jesus has the Passover meal with his disciples, it's a thousand five hundred years later, a thousand five hundred years of tradition. I mean, we are very sentimental about some of our traditions, about what our forefathers did like 100 or 200 years ago. That's nothing. They were celebrating Jews today. It's three and a half thousand years later. Jews today still celebrate the Passover meal. It's still a festival, a festival that they celebrate. So 1,500 years tradition that Jesus walks in, he celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples. This was an annual celebration and it celebrated the fact that, that the Israelites were freed from slavery. Three days later, quite significantly, three days later, they go through the Red Sea. The Israelites celebrate the fact what God has done for them. God saved us. And they, you know how they celebrated this? They celebrated it with a roast lamb. Even today, there would be unleavened bread. There would be some wine. And very important, in a Passover meal, there would be a roast lamb. Because it is remembering it was because of the blood of a lamb that we were passed over celebrating that victory. And how God took them out of slavery and they became a free nation on their own. Now, the Passover meal, typically how it worked, is there would be a presider or 
you know, the head of the house or the father, you know, the oldest guy was just like the head of the house. He would be the presider and there would be different moments in a Passover meal. This is not on the evening in Exodus 12, the 1,500 years after that and even today uh, where they would celebrate the Passover meal. And so there would be the Passover la- or the, the uh, roasted lamb and all of these things, beautiful moments. And then there would be a moment where the youngest in the family would ask a question. And the youngest in the family would say, what makes tonight so much different than all the other nights? What makes this meal different to all the other meals? And then the presider or the, the head of the house would actually point back and explain to the household again what God did for them. Usually they'll go back to Deuteronomy 16 or maybe even the story in Exodus and they will explain, this is what God did. There was a day where God passed us over in terms of his judgment because of the blood of the lamb. That's why we're having roast lamb tonight and celebrating the victory, the freedom from slavery that God brought about for them as a nation. That's what happened at a Passover meal. Now this idea of a sacrificial lamb, it continues in the Old Testament. In the time of Moses, even after with the priest, if you were guilty, and even once a year, for the guilt of all the, 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 the Israel, all the nation, they, the priest would sacrifice also an innocent life in exchange for the guilt of the people. You would receive the innocence, and that animal would receive your guilt, the great exchange taking place. And so we see this in Isaiah also. That some of the prophets, they would start speaking in terms of this language and saying, God saved us in a great way in the past. But there's going to come a day where God is going to do an even greater work of salvation. And God is going to send his lamb, not a lamb that we choose, but he's going to send a lamb. And so seven or 800 years after the Passover event took place, and so 700 years before Jesus Right, so sort of in the middle between these two moments, the prophet Isaiah says the following in in Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 7, I want to read to you. And it says, but he was pierced for our transgression, actually speaking about the future, the Messiah that will come. But he was pierced for our transgression. It's this thing of substitution. My transgression, but he was pierced for it. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace that brought us peace, and with his wounds, we are healed. Verse 7, now listen to the language, listen to the metaphor that the the, the Jewish prophets were speaking about. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that, uh, that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And so in other words, the point I want to get to, this phrase, The Lamb of God. It was a loaded term. By the time that Jesus arrived on the scene, this was a loaded term. If you you speak about the Lamb of God, these people, they understood. We're speaking about the Passover meal, but also about what the prophets spoke about the ultimate Lamb, the ultimate salvation, about a liberation from a slavery that's much greater than, than slavery in Egypt. It's actually speaking about the slavery of sin. And so if you speak about the Lamb of God, it was a loaded term. It was a very significant imagery in this world. And then what happens? There's another prophet. But this prophet doesn't live 700 years before Jesus. He lives in the time of Jesus. His name is John the Baptist. And he was a recognized prophet. The people in that time, they all agreed that John the Baptist, he's a prophet. 
And then they didn't like what he said, and maybe, and then later on they actually killed him. Because you know what he said? There was a day when he saw Jesus walking down. And what does he say in John 1 verse 29? John the Baptist shouts out the following. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When John the Baptist proclaimed those words, it had meaning to the other people. They were uncomfortable about what was being said. Even Jesus' disciples, I think, weren't really convinced until the day when they saw him rise from the grave. And so John the Baptist says, you know what all the prophets have been speaking about? That story that took place in Exodus 12, it's only a foreshadow. Here he is, his name is Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. And then on this Passover meal, Jesus brings together his disciples. Usually it was a family meal, but Jesus brings his disciples together, not they, with their different families, because what? He's starting a new family, the family of God. The book of Revelation actually started, as it says, that he started a new family. He brings his disciples together, and on the Passover meal, Jesus doesn't point back to Deuteronomy 16 or Exodus 12. He doesn't point back to a victory in the past. What does Jesus do? He does, he does something that's so radically different and that shocks these disciples. He doesn't point back. He points to the next day because the next day he went to the cross. And Jesus points ahead and he takes the bread and he says, this is my body. This is my body. You know what he's telling them? He says, I am the lamb. He takes the bread and he breaks and he says, my body needs to be broken for you. You need to eat from me. John 6, he also says, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's trying to say. You need to eat the lamb of God. Take this body, take this, uh, the, the, this bread that is broken for you. And he takes the wine and he says, this is my blood that is shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is saying, I am the lamb. I am the lamb. All of the other sacrifices in history have just been pointing to me. And the, the climax of history is found in the person of Jesus. Jesus is proclaiming, I am the one that the prophets have been speaking about. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. The ultimate slavery. I am going to free you from the ultimate slavery into the ultimate eternal freedom. Because I am your sacrificial lamb. My innocence for your guilt and your guilt for my innocence. Now, it's quite interesting, the gospel writers, on three occasions we read about the Passover meal or the Lord's Supper because he changed it. He instituted, uh, instituted a new tradition saying you're no longer going to celebrate the victory in, in, in uh, Exodus. That's like small in comparison to this. From now on, you are only going to celebrate me. This is the new Passover because he is the Passover lamb. It's a beautiful thing. The gospel writers, they, they tell this story. Not one of them make mention of the roast lamb on the table. It's quite significant. Usually at a Passover meal, there is a roast lamb. What is the gospel writers trying to tell us? What are they trying to show us? On this evening, the lamb was not on the table because the lamb was sitting at the table. Jesus is the lamb. It's the bread and the wine. And the lamb was there. His name is Jesus. He was sitting there. The next day, he would be pierced for our transgressions. The New Testament writers, they connected the dots. You see, this picture of, 
of Jesus being the Lamb of God is central for these early Christians to their understanding of their salvation and what exactly Jesus did for them on the cross and in his resurrection. I mean, I love the New Testament. Go read John chapter 19, just after Jesus gets crucified. John goes into the details about prophecies that are fulfilled, that Jesus, they didn't break his legs. There was no bone broken. And then they pierced him on the, in, his, in his side to see whether he was dead. And he says, this was to fulfill the prophecy in, in Exodus 12, verse 42, that no bone will be broken. And also the prophecy in Isaiah 53, that he will be pierced for our transgressions. And so John, after Jesus' death, he connects the dot and he says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And Paul writes in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, he says, for Christ, our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. He says it's done, it's complete. You don't have to bring a sacrifice anymore because your Passover lamb has been sacrificed, past tense. You know what's beautiful about this? Is you've got a, there is gonna come a day of judgment. The sin of the world, the rebellion against God will not go unpunished. There's gonna come a day of judgment. But if you've got the blood of the lamb of God smeared on the doorposts of your heart, you will be passed over. Jesus is your Passover lamb. Jesus is your Passover lamb. And, and hear this, friends. Your heritage, your good works, your church attendance, whoever your father was, I don't care if he was a pastor or not, none of that will matter. The only distinction will be the blood of the lamb. It's only the blood of the lamb. That's the only thing that will separate the goat from the sheep. It's the blood of the Lamb. That's the only thing that you can hold on to and put your weight on. Nothing else. Nothing else. Just Jesus, the sacrificial Lamb. I want to quickly read to you this, and, and John sees this in the future. Revelation, you know, the book of Revelation, it gives us a picture of heaven. And so we spoke about the past. And how that was only a foreshadow of the Lamb of God. We read about Jesus, and then John gets a revelation of what heaven looks like. And so just to, to, to show you that this, this idea of the Lamb of God, it is a cornerstone in the understanding of who Jesus is. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, please go read it this week. It's beautiful. It speaks about the Lamb that was worthy to open the scroll. There's the scroll in heaven, and no one can open it. And the people are coming together and saying, no one is worthy to open the scroll that's got seven seals on it. And then John starts crying, and then the angel next to him says, don't worry. You've forgotten about the Lion of Judah. Don't worry. Someone will be able to open it. And then behold, in the middle of heaven, there is a Lamb that appears to be slain. That's what Revelation 5 tells us. And then it goes on and it says the people that were standing around with around this lamb that appears to be slain. And then this lamb goes to the scroll and the lamb opens the scroll. It, 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 it's the victory. It's the, it's the passage to, to eternal life with God that even starts right now that this lamb is worthy to open for you and me. And it goes on in verse 9. It says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood... You ransomed people for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. And then it goes on, and John looks, and he looks around further, and he sees all of heaven, not only the people standing there, but all of heaven 
shouting the following, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and bless him. It's like they're running out of words. This Jesus is so worthy. He receives every single praise. It's like, you know, some worship songs we sing a lot in church. You think about the song that you sang the most. You know what the song is that's going to be sang the most in heaven? The worship song that gets sing, sang over and over and over. It's Revelation 5, and it's about a lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of the sins of many that ransomed people for God. And it goes on, and now, now it's a picture of not only heaven, but he sees, and behold, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all, that is, and all of them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. They were worshiping the Lamb. Knowing that, Jesus comes and says, I am the Lamb. Do you understand why the early Christians made much of communion? Because it's celebrating the fact that Jesus proclaimed, I am your sacrificial Lamb. It's me. All the other lambs, they were pointing to me. This is the moment. There's not ever going to be need for a lamb after this moment. No more need. You don't have to do anything. It's done. Jesus on his cross, he uttered the word. It is finished. Because the the lamb of God has been sacrificed. And if you confess Jesus, if you take the blood of the lamb of God and smear it on the doorpost of your heart, you will be passed over when it comes to judgment and you will sing together with all of heaven and all of creation and everyone, you will sing worthy is the lamb. Now, just to quickly get to another question real quick. Why should communion still be a big deal for us today? I mean, we understand this understanding of who this lamb is. Why should we make much of communion? Here's the thing is, I think it helped the early Christians in their devotion. Because they never lost the joy of their salvation. You see, what we're doing when we're having communion, we are celebrating, we are worshiping the fact that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. That we will be passed over. We are celebrating victory from slavery, from the slavery of, of sin. And we celebrate the fact that, that Jesus has died for us. We celebrate how Jesus saved us. We are celebrating our own salvation. There's a, one of the Psalms that says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. You know, some of you, you've been following God for a long time. You need to restore the joy of your salvation. Because what happens? If you are constantly reminded about how God saved you, you will devote yourself. You won't lose your passion. You won't lose your devotion because you are filled with awe about what Jesus did for you. You're going to be so thankful, so in love with Jesus that it's going to be easy for you to love other people. Now, I believe when it comes to communion, it might be the most important of the four. It might just be more important than the other. Well, you can't really say it's more important, but get this. I think the early Christians, the reason why they were so passionate, why they were laying down their lives before God, was because they were constantly reminding themselves 
of who Jesus is. My friend, if you lose your understanding of what Jesus did for you, even if you've been serving God for 20 years, if you lose the joy of your salvation, coming to church is going to feel like effort, I promise you. Loving people around you, it's going to feel like effort. But if you are constantly reminding yourself, also in community, about what Jesus did for you, it's going to be easy to stay devoted. And so with that, I want to wrap up this whole series about shifting in your devotion. That's probably the cornerstone. If you want to shift in your devotion to Christ, whether you've been serving God from last week or whether you've been serving Him for 20 years, you know what you need to shift? You need to take communion, maybe more often. You need to remind yourself of the joy of your salvation. You need to remind yourself of the gospel. And when you read scripture, focus on the gospel. You'll never get enough of it, I promise you. Focus on the gospel because it will shift you in your devotion to Jesus. The easiest way to grow your love for God and grow your love for people is to think about what Jesus did for you. I want to make a request to our community groups. Would you please this week have communion together in your, in your homes? And when you have community uh, group together, just share with one another your story. Tell one another what Jesus did for you. What did he save you out of and what did he save you into? And I'm trusting that God is going to start restoring the joy of our salvation. And in that, we're going to shift in our devotion. Maybe the worship team can come to the front. Um, Uh, then I want us to have communion. Maybe we can all stand together. But I just want to finish off in prayer for us. So in a moment, we're going to have communion together. We've got the smaller cups, and uh, we've got the bigger cups. The bigger cups are because we want you to come together. You know, if you're not grossed out by that, if you're grossed out by it, take one of the smaller cups. Otherwise, come together in a group of three or four. Take the bread, break it, share it with one another, and take the juice that we have, share it with one another. And celebrate what Jesus did for you. Celebrate the Lamb of God. And I'm going to ask the worship team. They're going to sing that song, Worthy is the Lamb. But I want them to start playing it already now while we have communion. And so they're going to do it as a ministry while we celebrate communion together. They're going to start singing. Once you're done with your communion, you're welcome to go back and just join them in worship for the rest of the song. Before I pray, let me just say this. If you have not confessed Christ as your Passover lamb, then communion is not for you. The reason I'm saying that is I'm not trying to exclude anyone. The thing is, then you'll be a hypocrite, okay? The Bible says you'll be drinking judgment over yourself because you're taking something that is a confession, but you don't actually believe that Jesus is the lamb of God that was slain for your sin. And so if that's not you yet, then just rather take it easy. No one's gonna know. Just take it easy where you are. And we would love for you to come back still. Come to community group. Come to church. You're so welcome with us. We want to discover with you the salvation that God has for you. So keep on coming with us. But maybe not tonight take communion because if you don't believe it yet. But then I want to make this invitation. If you know tonight that I want to make that confession for the first time. I want to make that confession that Jesus is my Passover lamb. Maybe you realize for the first time that you've got guilt and there's no way that you can save yourself. The only hope that you have is if someone gives their innocent life for you. And if you realize tonight that you need that, you need Jesus as your Passover lamb, I want you to do a bold thing and just raise your hand because we want to start this journey with you, the journey of salvation. Is there anyone like that? 
If that's you, if you want to accept Jesus tonight as your Passover lamb, why don't you just raise your hand because we would love to celebrate that with you and even have communion with you tonight. Anyone like that? Anyone that wants to make this confession, that has not made this confession yet, wants to make it tonight? Anyone? There's no one. We're going to keep on making this invitation every week because it's the biggest thing that can happen to us. Lord Jesus, as we take communion now, would you come and bless us? Would you help us to see just the beautiful thing that you've done for us? Will you come and restore the joy of our salvation? And in that, God, we know that we're going to become even more devoted to you. We remember what you did for us. Amen. Let's enjoy communion. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.